What's going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is heard live every day from noon to three on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content like invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with all the links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And again, thank you so much for your support. All righty, and away we go. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Happy Friday. It is March 1st, so pay the mortgage or the rent. And uh, if you would like to call the program, 704-570-1110 or 1-800-WBT-1110. You may also send me an email, Pete, at thepetecallendershow.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter, at Pete Callender. All right, so full disclosure, I have not finished reading the entire transcript of the Hunter Biden deposition that occurred yesterday. I'm about 70 pages through. It's about a third of the way. It's like 250-something pages. I haven't gotten all the way through it yet. I apologize. Uh, but I, I only saw it this morning. I did retweet it out. So if you follow me on Twitter, you can uh, you could take a look at it and go through it. But, um, ugh, Jerry Nadler. Eric Swalwell. These guys are just. Nadler keeps saying, I can't hear any. I can't hear. What? Huh? I can't hear. Speak up. I can't hear. You know, it's like throughout the whole transcript, he's saying this. And Swalwell's just a jerk. Guy's just an absolute jerk. Um, so I have not gotten through all of it. However, there have been some uh, there have been some things that I have noticed. And uh, Margot Cleveland at The Federalist. She has noticed some of the same items. Um, I have not. I'm not going to go through her entire. It's a. She's got a very lengthy piece. Runs around you know 15 minutes long. She goes through eight unbelievable claims from Hunter Biden's deposition. <clears throat> now, there's part of this which is uh, part of the transcripts which Democrats believe and uh, and media. But I repeat myself. They believe Hunter Biden has addressed all of the. Uh, the points that Republicans think they have been making, right? That finally Hunter Biden was able to go into a deposition was able to go under oath. And finally he's able to answer these questions. And once he has, he has completely laid waste to all of the arguments, all the accusations, none of them hold up. I can tell you that some of the explanations that Biden has offered might very well be true which is why you need to have corroboration, right? That's why you got to have records. It's why you subpoena the records, get testimony from other people. So let the investigation continue on some items. Some other items, eh, not so much. Some other items, he did not, quote, refute them, as I think The Hill tried to argue, by, which I, I think there are a lot of reporters that think the word refute means dispute, and it does not. Dispute means I disagree, right? Refute means I have proven you to be incorrect. And Hunter Biden has not done that. He did not do that. I have his, um, his well, the open, I, we've got the transcript, but also, you know, his opening statement where he was uh, uh, declared by media uh, to have, you know, shut down the accusations, which he did not. A blistering rebuke is how Politico described it. Um, there are certain things, though, that 
Hunter Biden cannot explain away. And the more he talks about this stuff, the more obvious it becomes in some of these cases uh, that they had created plausible deniability. That's obvious to me, at least. It has become obvious that they have they have shielded the members like Joe Biden specifically, but also Hunter Biden has been shielded. And so he has plausible deniability. What do I mean by shielded? I mean, he claims to not ever do any accounting. That's what he claimed yesterday or yeah, uh, yeah, yesterday or Wednesday. Wait a minute. Mm, yes, Wednesday was his closed session testimony. The transcript came out. Uh, I saw it this morning. And so what he claimed was that he didn't follow any of the money. So he doesn't know where it came from, which is very convenient, right? Here's a guy doing multi-million dollar deals all over the world with some nefarious actors, right? And he wants us to believe that he was not paying any attention to where any of the money was coming from or going to. And not only was he ignorant about sources of funding and the exchange of the money and through which LLCs and all of that, not only was he ignorant about all of that, but he also wanted to save money on wire transfers. So he was, he was micromanaging at that level, just not at these other levels, you see. I'm sorry this doesn't this this is not believable to me. He's he's doing dozens of wire transfers all over the world with all this different money, dozens of them. Oh like every year. But on one particular transfer, he claims he tried to save money and that's why he just took direct payments and 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 directed direct payments to his family members from one of his business partners. He had them pay out directly to his family members. One to his niece, he claimed was repaying her credit card because he didn't have a credit card at that time. I don't know why, but he didn't have a credit card at that time. And so he was using his niece's credit card and he ran up, I guess, tens of thousands of dollars on that. And so then he paid her back, but he didn't want to take the money first. So he had his business partner just wire it to her, thus saving on the wiring fee. By wiring it to her. Well, because it, he would have had to have get he would have had to have then wired it to her. See? Yeah, because I guess he didn't have checking either, or he couldn't write a check or something, no Venmo or whatever. I don't know. Didn't take a page out of Fannie Willis's book and just do the cash deal. Nothing like that. Right? That's what I mean. Some of this stuff doesn't add up. He doesn't know where he got the money from the uh, to buy the, uh, the or who bought the car for him. He just knows that the car was given to him. $142,000 got this car as part of one of the deals. Now, I don't know where it came from. Don't know where the money came from. No, no, no. That's that. I never paid any attention to that stuff. Here's a guy running multiple LLCs and doesn't pay any attention to any of the money. Again, not believing it. Who is the big guy? He denied that it was Joe. When questioned about the reference to 10% being, quote, held by H for the big guy, Hunter Biden claimed to not know what that meant. And when questioned by Democrats on the committee about Joe Biden's nicknames, Hunter denied that his family referred to Joe Biden as the big guy. 
This, of course, flies in the face of the testimony that Tony Bobolinsky offered like four years ago that the big guy was Joe Biden's nickname. And while Hunter Biden claimed Bobolinsky was a liar and not to be believed, Devin Archer, who was one of Hunter Biden's longtime friends and business associates, Devin Archer also used that nickname in an apparent reference to Joe Biden in his testimony. He said Burisma wasn't, quote, specific, you know, can the big guy help? It was, it's always this amorphous, can we get help in D.C.? Right, And that sentence right there is a perfect illustration of what I mean by this, this uh, shielding, this plausible deniability. Right, You never actually discuss business with Joe in front of these clients. You never actually have... Joe on a phone call talking business and going over specifics of any kind of, you know, influence or uh, or power he's supposed to wield in, in their in service to these clients. That's never the point. Right. The whole point is to just bring him onto the phone call, have him drop by dinner, have him show up and shake some hands as Hunter acknowledged his father did throughout his entire life. But, you know, that's just what my dad does. That's just what we do. Like, I would always do that. I do that with that. Like, I would do it right now. I'm sitting in this congressional deposition, and I'll I'll call him right now. If Dad calls right now, I'd put him on speakerphone and have him say hello to everybody. That's just what I do because, you know, I've been the son of a senator since I was two years old. This is what he says. This is the life he leads, right? Everywhere he goes, when Dad calls him on the phone, he just puts Dad on speakerphone and has Dad say hello to the room, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, it's... It's the senator. Oh, my gosh. It's the vice president. Oh, my gosh. It's the former vice president. Oh, my gosh. It's the president. See, and Hunter doesn't see anything wrong with that. There's no influence being sold or offered or he's not trading on the family name or anything like that. It's just his skill set that is so attractive to all of these oligarchs in countries that hate us. That's all. See? He's not, he's not selling access or even the illusion of access. He's just that good of a businessman. Even when he's high on crack. World, you know, world-class masterpiece painter and crack-addled world-class businessman who doesn't do his own books. That's Hunter Biden. All right, do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Here's the problem. Well, there are several problems with Hunter Biden's uh, testimony that he gave yesterday. Um, you know, he says that, uh, for example, 
the WhatsApp message that he sent that said, I'm sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand. And now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction, I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. He says he was drunk or high when he sent that. And oops, he sent it to uh, the wrong person. He meant to, yeah, he, he sent it to Henry Zhao. And he totally meant to send it to Raymond Zhao. <laughs> My bad. Now, it worked out okay for him because $5 million ended up getting deposited into his accounts like within a day. So, I mean, I'm just going to start randomly texting people too. I mean, like, hey, you need to pay me $5 million. Or by golly, by gosh, the guy sitting next to me and my ability to hold a grudge, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But Hunter Biden on Air Force Two with dad en route to Mexico City, February 24th, 2016. He says, we have been talking about business deals for seven years, and I really appreciate you letting me stay at your resort villa. But I have brought every single person you have ever asked me to bring to the bleeping White House and the Vice President's House and the inauguration, and then you go completely silent. You make me feel like I've done something to offend you. That was to his business associate, Aleman Magnani. Okay, so these text messages exist. Now, Hunter Biden is uh, in the deposition. He apparently is floating this idea that this is all just... uh, a Russian disinformation campaign. This is the, 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 yeah, that it wasn't his laptop. He's still going with this. Bold strategy, Cotton. We'll see if it works out for him. When asked about his laptop from hell, Hunter claimed first not to remember dropping one off at a repair store in 2019. He says didn't remember it. Then he was asked if he ever dropped off a laptop at a repair shop, and Hunter talked about dropping one off at a place a couple of blocks from his D.C. office. And at an Apple store in Georgetown, when he was pushed on whether he had ever left a laptop for repair at, uh, in Delaware, Hunter replied that, quote, the largest Apple store in America is at the Christiana Mall, and that if he were to drop off a laptop, not that he ever remembered doing that, but if he was going to drop off a laptop, then he would have gone to the Apple store, which was seven minutes from his parents' home there. In other words, Hunter is claiming that he would not have dropped off his laptop at Mac Isaac's store. And he's saying that to suggest that he did not drop off his laptop, but we know he did. This assertion is part of a conspiracy theory to suggest that the laptop was a plant. He's also pushing another false narrative by suggesting that a lot of the evidence recovered from the laptop was fake. He said, quote, many different things were either fabricated, hacked, stolen, or manipulated. 100%. That's what he said. 100%. And then when asked to identify some of these these things that were fabricated or hacked or stolen or manipulated, 100%, he said, I can't go through them all right now. I mean, there's just so many. I do, I, like, I... 
I, I couldn't even name them all. Okay, we'll just name one. I mean, there's just the list. It's so long. I mean, I don't know. It's just so many things. I can't even keep them all straight. Okay, well, just how about one? Just tell us one. Again, the list. It's very long. Yeah. Another refrain. He uh, he made concerned payments into accounts that were held in the name of Rosemont Seneca Bohai and Rosemont Seneca Thornton. Those entities were Devon Archers, and as such, the money deposited into those accounts from foreigners was not Hunter's. This is what he said. He said, I have no authority over those accounts. Those were all controlled by Devon Archer. Never mind that Archer transferred large sums of money from those accounts to Hunter Biden's accounts, or in one case, the use of $142,000 from a Kazakhstani oligarch that went to pay for the car. And while Hunter tried to downplay the shifting of the funds from one business to another, it's all pretty unbelievable, right? Because he kept on saying over and over and over again that he did not involve his father in his business, which is a very specifically crafted sentence. I did not involve my father in my business. Well, did your father involve himself? Did you talk about it? Was your father aware of it? Right? He says his father did not directly benefit. You'll, you'll find no payments. You'll find no payments. Is that because you guys were careful not to make direct payments to dad? Or the chairman, although he claims that he never called him the chairman, even though they have other examples of people calling him the chairman. But whatever. I'll get through the rest of the deposition this weekend. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is Pete at the thepetecalendarshow.com. All right, I just read something that's kind of weird, and if I have to uh, think about it, you do too. Okay, so um, hmm. I'm going to read you a passage from a news report. In the early months of his presidency... As the pandemic dragged on with its stifling restrictions, President Biden often delivered a favorite monologue to aides. He was worried about young people's mental health, he said. High school seniors were missing prom and graduation. He wanted to know how college students went on dates. Specifically, Biden wondered how young people could, quote, make love under the circumstances. That, according to two aides who heard the president use that phrase multiple times during his first year in office. Biden's fixation on loneliness among young people, the aide said, grew out of his near daily conversations with his grandchildren. I got questions. I mean, yeah, I... (laughs) Yeah, I asked some questions. What are you talking to your grandkids about? <laughs> First of all, what, I want to get some uh, my, uh, some social workers in there. Maybe have some conversations with these grandchildren. Also, why are, why are you asking and talking with your 
your White House staffers and aides about how young people are, quote, making love. Why are you discussing this with them? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, thank you, Bonchi at redstate.com. Um, wait, hang on a second. What is this? Breaking news. Huge decision out of the D.C. Circuit this morning saying that the proceedings before Congress on January 6th did not involve the administration of justice, as that phrase is used in the sentencing guidelines. Interesting. Think about that. I'm going to read it again. The proceedings before Congress on January 6th, right, when the riots occurred and and uh, all the members of Congress had to you know, flee and it all got shut down. That did not involve the, quote, administration of justice, as that phrase is used in the sentencing guidelines. You've got J6 defendants <clears throat> that were convicted and then sentenced under the sentencing guidelines that talk about, uh, I guess, uh, you know, interrupting or or blocking or impeding the administration of justice. And that's not what was occurring, according to the D.C. Circuit. They say that was not what was happening on J6. Um, this is one of the lawyers for the J6 defendants. Uh, this has been a massive point of conflict between defense counsel and the DOJ and the judges in the sentencing of J6 defendants. Uh, this is under, I guess, Section 1512. Uh, that was the go-to felony for the DOJ early on, and the reason for that is the government was asking for and getting 11 levels of enhancements. This is real inside baseball type of stuff, but here's how it works. The base offense level for a 1512 is 14. The higher that number, the longer the recommended sentence. The government was asking for, and the judges except one, were giving two different enhancements both were enhancements involving interfering with the due administration of justice. And that's a level eight. Another three-level enhancement is if the proceedings were actually interfered with. So if you had no criminal history, the recommended sentencing range for a level 14 is 15 to 21 months. For somebody with no criminal history, the recommended sentencing range for a level 25 is 57 to 71 months. Difference is one and a half years versus more than five years in prison. And that's what the, the DOJ has been doing and the judges have been going along with because they've been calling it an, uh, an uh, administration of justice proceeding. And now a court, the D.C. Circuit, has said that's, that is not what the J6 proceedings were. They were not the administration of justice. So they've been, what does that mean? They've been imprisoning people based on a bad interpretation of, of the sentencing guidelines to use the most expansive interpretation of the guideline to it. Well, not even expansive interpretation. They're just saying that certifying the vote was some sort of administration of justice when it is not. What is this? Charles? I don't know. What is this? All right. Hello, Charles. Yeah. Hello. Welcome to the program. How are you this morning, sir? Hey, I am all right. What's going on? I was just hoping Sincerely hoping that after you made the comments about the president and his comments with his grandchildren, that you were going to say, I got the calendar wrong, April Fool's. <laughs> no, 
Sorry. No, not an Appreciate April Fool's. Show sincerely. All right, thank you, sir. I Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. Unfortunately, not April Fool's yet. It's March first. You want to be aware of the Ides of March. Ides of March. Uh, the Supreme Court on Wednesday agreed to decide whether President Donald Trump can be tried on criminal charges that he conspired to overturn the results of the 2020 election. In a one-page unsigned order, the justices ordered a federal appeals court to continue to keep on hold its ruling rejecting Trump's claims of immunity from prosecution, and they fast-tracked the case for oral argument in late April, which, as I understand it, um, this is the end of the democracy, as I understand it. I know the democracy has ended so many times, but we haven't been alive to experience the end of democracy because we're all dead from net neutrality. But this is apparently the latest thing that will kill off the democracy because the Supreme Court is not going to uh, make a, a, a hear the oral arguments or make a ruling on this matter uh, until a couple months down the road. So the earliest this thing could come out, I think, the, the is like June time frame when they would release an, an opinion on this. And so the left and the media, but I repeat myself, they're very mad. They're saying that this is the end of democracy because uh, they got to they have to decide this before Trump can win. Which, of course, you know. Shows. It, it, it right. It tips the hand. It shows their hand that this really is the, the Jack Smith prosecution of Trump in this matter is really about keeping Trump off the ballot. That's the point. It's to prevent him from being the nominee and being able to win the presidency. That's the point of the, of the charges, which is why, by the way, Jack Smith waited so long in order to make this, it's one of, it's a negotiating tactic, by the way, which is this, you, you create this false deadline, right? You, you, uh, you put a deadline in place that's that's not real, but it creates this sense of urgency that you have to get something done because you're running out of time. And they waited so long to do it in order to, to create this urgency. And now they're using the lack of urgency by the U.S. Supreme Court, which, by the way, is following its standards. Um, they're using that to delegitimize the Supreme Court, which will, of course, allow them to then make the argument that they have to pack the Supreme Court with more Democrat judges so they can, of course, protect the democracy by legislating from the bench. See, it, it all makes sense when you just ignore all principles and the definitions of words. Right. All right. Hey, maybe you have heard by now DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to North Carolina. It's coming soon. On March 11th, to be exact, DraftKings is one of America's top-rated sports books with same-game parlays, money lines, and props. The best features like odds boost and live betting and social betting groups where you can share your bets with your friends in real time. DraftKings is safe, it's secure, and reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. And it all starts on March 11th. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and then place your bets on your favorite sports once it goes live. And again, it goes live on March 11th. And now here's the disclaimer. Gambling problem? Call 877-718-5543 or visit morethanagame.nc.gov. 21 plus, North Carolina only. Eligibility restrictions apply, subject to regulatory licensing requirements. And see terms at draftkings.com sportsbook slash nc.
News Talk 1110 wbt A reminder that the Coolest Dog in Charlotte contest is going on now. For a couple more weeks, go to charlotte-kiwanis.org. If your dog uh, is voted to be the coolest dog, you have to submit a picture, do a little write-up, or have the dog write it up. I mean, if it's really a cool dog, it'll do the write-up for you. Um, and then you uh, could possibly win you, uh, the photo of your dog on a can of beer from Suffolk Punch Brewery in South End. Not too bad. Thanks also to uh, sponsors of the uh, the program, Tyler 2 Construction, Suffolk Punch Brewery, and Queen City Canine. This is all being done by the Kiwanis Club of Charlotte, and um, the money raised goes to child literacy programs in the Charlotte area. So if you are looking to enter your dog or vote for dogs or just to look at the cute pictures, go to charlotte-kiwanis.org, or you can also look up uh, on the Google machine, Coolest Dog Charlotte, and it'll pop up right there for you. All righty, so... Um, I am interested in this uh, Donald Trump argument that he has immunity from prosecution, because on the one hand, I can understand when he says, you know, president's got to be able to whack people. Right. I mean, he didn't really say that, but he kind of did. And, you know, look, it's the reason why, for example, Barack Obama was never tried for the drone strike that took out an American citizen. I mean, it was overseas. And he was alleged to be participating in the terrorism and such. But he did whack an American without due process. So back him, he's not charged. Right? Because there's this uh, kind of gentleman's agreement. Can you even say that anymore? Is that a bad? That's a bad phrase. It's a, it's a gentle person's agreement that we don't prosecute you for, for you know, taking out targets if there's like even this uh, facade or just a hint, maybe that they were, they were engaged in uh, some terrorism. Right. But, but if you're Donald Trump and you, you know, go to try to shoot somebody on fifth Avenue, then (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But um, he did say he could do that and his people would still love him and they would, they would say the guy had it coming. But if, Trump were to do that, I suspect he probably would get charged, right? Is that because it's Trump? Is it because it's on Fifth Avenue? What if the guy was a terrorist? I don't know. See, I got a lot of questions about this. But also, if Trump is successful in making this argument that he's got the immunity from prosecution because he was president when he was doing the various things that the people are uh, charging him with illegal activity, well, if he wins this argument, does that mean Joe Biden gets to drone strike Trump? Because he would have immunity, right? Like, where does this end? What are the limiting principles here? Oh, come on, Pete. That's being ridiculous. Is it being ridiculous? I don't know. Like, how far does the immunity go? Because if Obama can say, I can drone strike an American overseas because he was involved in the terrorism, and Joe Biden says, well, I think Donald Trump is involved in terrorism, you know, domestic terrorism, Christian nationalism or something, right? If he just makes this argument, points to the Department of Homeland Security's big report that talked about domestic terrorism being the number one threat, right? As they as they scream uh, uh, aloha snack bar as they decapitate people in the streets, right? So maybe drone strike Trump before the election. I'm just I got questions. 
U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkan. Chutkan. Wasn't that a song in like the 80s? Chutkan. Chutkan, right? That was her, right? Tanya Chutkan. Anyway, uh, she set a trial date of March 4th. So just in a couple days. In early February, though, she threw that date out. Oh, no. And indicated that she would set a new one if and when Trump's immunity claims are resolved. Chutkan had denied Trump's motion to dismiss the charges against him on the grounds that he is immune from prosecution. Jack Smith came to the U.S. Supreme Court back in December, asking the justices to review that decision without waiting for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit to weigh in on Trump's appeal. But the U.S. Supreme Court declined to jump the line, so they they would not do that. On February 6th, the D.C. Circuit unanimously upheld Chirkan's decision and rejected Trump's claims that he cannot be prosecuted for his official acts. And that a former president cannot be prosecuted unless he has first been impeached by the House and then convicted by the Senate. The Court of Appeals then has set the stage for Trump's case to move quickly, telling him that the ruling would go into effect on February 12th, unless he asked the Supreme Court to intervene, which he did. Okay, that's how we got here. So I'm kind of unimpressed with these uh, these hysterical screams and catchawalling from uh, our friends on the left who are claiming that the Supreme Court taking up this case is somehow outrageous. It's not outrageous. It is the standard protocol here. In fact, Jack Smith asked the Supreme Court to do so. But they want to now say that the Supreme Court is only taking up this case because they're trying to do Trump a solid. But Jack Smith asked the Supreme Court to take the case up months ago. And they didn't. They said, no, we're going to follow the standard protocol. And in doing so, they got the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals involved. They made their ruling against Trump. Left is very happy. And so now they're like, "Okay, stop, 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 stop. We got the ruling we wanted. And so when the Supreme Court's like, "Okay, well, now we'll take it up because Trump is appealing. Now the left is like, "Yo, you shouldn't appeal. The Supreme Court's illegitimate. And again, all when you when you start looking at all of these Supreme Court related stories and the reactions to the various rulings or arguments or, or, you know, willing their willingness to take up a certain case or whatever, when you start. Viewing them through the the lens of delegitimizing the court in order to pack it later, all of this makes sense. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I could not do the show without your support and the support of the businesses that advertise on the podcast. So if you'd like, please support them too and tell them you heard it here. You can also become a patron at my Patreon page or go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Again, thank you so much for listening and uh, don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>